The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome to NDE Radio, brought to you by IANS, the International Association for Near-Death Studies. I'm your host, Lee Whitting. One of the common results of having a near-death experience is the way it can affect regular church attendance, either making it more attractive to the experiencer or less. Sometimes an NDE even invites the exploration of alternative denominations and forms of worship in search of finding a community that more closely fits what they learn from their NDE. One reason for alienation from their traditional worship can be the way the pastor, priest, imam, or rabbi reacts to the experiencer's story of what they saw, or even the worship leader's acceptance of the possibility of personal mystical experiences, period. If a pastor or a congregation cannot make room in their theology for the possibility of personal mystical experience, then the NDEer may leave that church never to return. Today's guest, Reverend Reverend Howard Storm uh, described his amazing, life-changing near-death experience on this show two weeks ago. And if you missed it, please check it out in the NDE radio archives. His was a profound NDE involving elements of both heaven and hell that radically changed his life. As a result of that NDE, Howard became involved with a church, entered the seminary, and was ordained. He served as pastor of Zion United Church of Christ in Norwood, Ohio, from 1992 to 2005, and serves as a pastor to this day. Reverend Storm is also an artist and the author of several books, including My Descent into Death and Befriend God, Life with Jesus. Howard, welcome back to NDE Radio. Thanks. It's a pleasure to talk with you again, Lee. Uh, it's, it's a pleasure to have you here. Howard, before your NDE, you were a confirmed atheist, and your experience led you to Christian worship. Yet many churchgoers who have an NDE turn away from organized religion. Why do you suppose this happens? Uh, I think there's a variety of reasons. I, I do want to, you did say it in the introduction, many people um, become much more committed uh, churchgoers um, and get much more involved with church after the NDE. So there's a huge range. I mean, and... I've met many people that are um, completely turned off by organized religion. I've been pastoring for 30, over 30 years now, and I can understand why people are um, turned off by organized religion. And I know this is a very general um, apology for the behavior of churches, but um, churches, religions are made up of people and sometimes people are um, rude, sometimes they're narrow-minded, sometimes they're um, callous and we encounter that every day of our lives if we go out in the public I mean you can um, encounter it at the grocery store you can encounter it you know, at the veterinarian's office, you can encounter it. If you go to an attorney, you, if you go to the hospital, um, you, you run into people that upset you and, um, exhibit, um, very unpleasant behavior to you. So 
It would be wonderful if churches were filled with saints and um, open-minded people that were just compassionate and loving and kind, but they are not. They're full of human beings. There's a corny expression that um, the church is not a museum of saints. It's a hospital for sinners. <laughs> yes. And that is the um, attitude that I take, and I um, I think it would be vain of me to say that I'm the biggest sinner of them all. But I'm a sinner, and I um, fit well in with the collection of sinners. I um, am very partial to um, Alcoholics Anonymous and Al-Anon. Mm. And I went to Al-Anon for quite a while. And there's also another group that I've um, experienced a lot, Compassionate Friends, and there's another group um, called SOS. SOS, Survivors of Suicide, where people have a community where they um, participate in therapeutic healing and in truth-telling. I wish that there were a little more element of that in the church, but the problem is, is that those are very, very tough and sometimes painful groups, and if there were a lot of them, of that in-depth honesty and truth-telling in a church. I wonder how many people would leave. I think a lot would leave. Mm-hmm. I don't think people go to church to get to that level of uh, therapeutic healing. But anyways, my point is is that um, as a pastor, I have experienced unbelievably bad behavior in the church. And it's like, it always shocks me because it's like, I mean, your reaction is, Really? You know, I thought we were supposed to be nice to each other. What's going on? <laughs> well, you know, the um, uh, you would expect that uh, if someone has a personal mystical experience, even if even if the members of the congregation generally didn't believe it, at least they'd be fascinated by the possibility of it. And and yet, so many. Um, so many people I've seen just will shut you down over it. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to uh, even uh, encounter the possibility, let alone believe the experience. Yes. Um, the first time I shared my experience to a clergy group, a um, older retired clergy person, when I was done, got up and um, attacked me and insulted me. And it was really hurt. Um I was just stunned and went silent. Mm. A couple of people came up afterwards and said that they um, appreciated me telling my story. But I think that it's very threatening to a lot of people. Um, the problem is when you talk about going into the light and meeting a divine being and having a life review and um, having your values changed, it is um, a con- it's, it's contrary to what a lot of people are counting on, what their what their lives are based on, and it can be a big threat to them. And then there's another factor, and that is um, it's the story of the prodigal son and the elder brother, who when his prodigal son, who's been um, really um, bad person, you know, hurt his father, hurt his family, um, and did whatever with um, squandering his inheritance and comes home and is greeted 
with forgiveness and compassion and celebration, the elder brother is very angry because, like, why does this person get that? And I've gotten nothing all these years. You know, I've, you know, I've been so faithful and hardworking and you, and you, you never gave a party for me or a celebration for me. Um, and I think that has a lot to do with it. I've had people say to me and more than once, many times, like, why you? Why did you get to have this? And like, I've wanted a mystical experience all my life and I've never gotten anything. I had someone say that to me last week. Actually, several people said to me last week. Um, and I mean, I, I can't answer that. And they're like, no, I don't well, know. Well, <laughs> the fact that someone is sharing a personal mystical experience with them should be recognized as a gift that the very telling of the story is including them to a degree in the, in the experience. I, I found as a chaplain in the hospital that I could take a story from one person who'd coded and had a near death experience to someone who was very sick and, and scared to death of dying and share that story. And it became a powerful incentive to them to, to their faith that, uh, that, that, you know, when we die, it, not everything goes black and that's the end of things. Um, one of the uh, great benefits to me as a person who is out of the closet with my near death experience <laughs> is that people tell me their mystical experiences. Yes. Yes. And like one of the reasons why I go out and do my talks and stuff is because people tell me their stories and people email me their stories. And I am um, in my life is enriched enormously by people sharing their stories with me. And it is funny because sometimes they apologize profusely about telling me the story. Like, no, 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 don't, please don't apologize. I want to hear it. I mean, I, you know, give it to me. You know, it's like, it's a huge gift to me. Tell me your story. Sure, it's an affirmation of your own experience to a degree yeah. that these things are possible and it's not an aberration in you, but that it's a, it can be. I, I have this conviction that everyone is entitled to at least one personal mystical experience in their lives and it's up to them to recognize it when it happens because sometimes they're subtle, but, um, but at, at a, at a different level of understanding it can be very profound. Yes, and, um, I have a member of my family very important to me. And she said several mystical experiences. And I've been trying to explain to her that those are gifts from God. They aren't coincidences. It's just not something that like, Oh, that was strange. And then dismiss it and go on. It's like, that was like a huge gift to um, confirm something that you were praying for and hoping for. Right. And, uh, and the fact that someone comes along at a certain moment in your life and tells you, of a personal uh, mystical experience that they've had is a, is a profound gift. As you say, you welcome these stories. I welcome these stories and, um, and people who have, who listen to the show on a regular basis welcome these stories because they are, well, uh, I'm sure I've said this in past shows. Where do you suppose the Bible came from? If it hasn't, if it didn't occur through personal mystical experience of the authors, I mean, God revealed things to them through a vision, a dream, or possibly a near-death experience like Paul had. Uh, yeah. So 
don't, how can you reject these things when they happen? Yeah, and um, you've um, brought up the word several times, which is part of the uh, confusion and the beauty of all this, which is the word mystical, which comes from the Greek, which means unspeakable. So all these mystical experiences, and I consider NDE just like a subcategory of mystical experience and no better or worse than any other, um, is unspeakable. They're ineffable. They can't be spoken because we don't have language adequate to describe them. But we feel compelled, and I believe that it's God's desire that we try and share these experiences um, because they do enrich us and encourage us. And we all need a lot of encouragement in this difficult world. So we use language to just try and describe something that language can't adequately describe. It's difficult. It's frustrating. It makes grown men and women cry in the attempt to do it, but we do it anyways. And I think that that um, is the whole story of the um, sacred literature and being a Christian, of course, you know, my number one book in sacred literature is the Bible. And I read the Bible as an attempt to describe things that are beyond description. So I see it as full of um, um, spiritual, mystical uh, language, like for example, I mean, I give you like one simple example, like the Song of Songs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what? What is that about? How do we understand it? And I think it um, is. Uh, there's a lot more to it than what meets the eye on the page. Mm-hmm. Well, the the uh, <laughs> it's like a series of icons when you hear a, a um, different. Um, descriptions and uh, as you say they're they're uh, flawed descriptions at best because words can't really do it but the fact that we keep trying and uh, artists paint these try try to paint the pictures of what they saw and musicians try to write the music of what they heard and and um, and um, so forth it's uh, uh, and the Bible is is full of uh, visions and uh, and these visions are uh, like I, uh, like windows into heaven, just like a, a near-death experience is like a window into heaven. Or, as the Orthodox would say, uh, an icon, looking at painting of, of Jesus' face, for instance, is an icon into heaven. Yeah. Um, and, and sometimes the Bible are uh, visions of man's bestial mind, too. You know, there's, there's parts of the Bible that are less inspired by God and more inspired by human desire. And um, and that's one of the things that I love about the Bible is that um, it was inspired by God but written by humans, and you have to um, um, try and uh, make those distinctions when you read it. Right. Just uh, the story of Adam and Eve is, is you know, uplifting and, and depressing at the same time because it's, uh, it's you know, it brings home the beauty of the creation and the gift that God has given us and and then how we screw things up. Yeah. So it, so it uh, works both ways, you know. Um, but uh, to back back to the church thing, um, the thing I don't understand 
about people um, rejecting um, organized religion and churches that the message of the near-death experience is love. And I, um, every NDE that I've ever talked to, that, that we're all in agreement. That's the God is love. The message is love. We're here to love one another. Yes. And so that makes me want to um, be part of community. I mean, love's not an abstract, sentimental feeling. You know, it's not like, I love your lipstick, I love your hair, you know, I love your new dress. I mean, that's that's not the kind of love we're talking about. We're talking about um, compassion, caring, kindness, generosity towards other people, wanting to be engaged with other people. And the part that I don't understand is people say, well, I don't want, I don't, I don't want to belong to any organized religion. And I said, okay, then what's your community? Where, where are you connected with other people? Yes. Um, I, when I walked into a church for the first time after my near death experience, like I was like, wow, a room full of people all seeking God and they're all really different. Some of these people, I mean, there was children who, um, were being taken off to Sunday school to learn, you know, the, the little Bible stories. There were people in there that were very cynical. There were people in there that were all about wealth and power and money and trying to control the church. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, there were people in there that were, um, you know, so um, kind and saintly that I just wanted to adopt them as part of my family. I mean, the whole range of humanity. And it's like, yes, I want to be part of this. Um, if you will, family. Um, and I am a, I'm, I'm a hundred percent addicted to wanting to connect to other people, but I don't want to connect with people who are pursuing things that I see as, um, either superfluous or, um, not healthy. Like for example, I used to um, hang out in bars. I don't go to bars anymore because I don't like um, I don't like the spirit there. I don't like what people are seeking. I um, I don't go to um, professional sporting events anymore because um, there's just this uh, for me. There's just too much of a spirit of aggression and competition and violence and things like that. I you know I, I like um, I like these. Uh, um, Pollyanna idiots who go to church who think that uh, they're part of a better world and um, through love they're going to make um, you know the whole human race um, take them out of the uh, um, bestiality that we are all stuck in mm-hmm. and lift us up into a more godly existence well we find in any given congregation People who love bars and love sports <laughs> and others who would love to just sit there and talk theology all day long. Yeah. And, uh, and a church should be a safe community. I mean, one that if, you know, if alcohol is a problem, you don't have to go into a bar to find a, a community. And if, um, aggression is a problem, you don't have to go to a, you know, a basketball game to, uh, to, to, uh, because that, the people in church should be willing to share, but the problem comes down to if you try to share something like an NDE or a mystical experience, they may turn on you like, you know, out of, 
out of no good sense at all just because it's not part of their own uh, way of seeing seeing the possibilities. Yeah, um, I've, I've been pretty fortunate with the churches that I've served that um, they seem to have been um, – I don't talk about my NDE much, but they're all aware of it, and, they, um, um, you know, they – aware of my book and may have read and stuff like that. And um, some people are very interested in some people, but I haven't, in terms of uh, the churches that I've served, the people have been um, kind and sometimes um, very supportive of my near-death experience. But I think part of it is, is that are, are we open to their experiences? Um, and that's the most important thing. And, and I've had people come, up to me after I've been at a church a while and said, Pastor, I never told anyone this because I thought people make funny, but you're not going to believe what happened to me. And I said, oh, you'd be surprised what I'm willing to believe. (laughs) (laughs) And then they tell me the most beautiful stories of something that happened in their life that they have not shared with anyone. And I'm going, oh, that, like, you know, that that was God. I mean, that was, you know, what a gift. I mean, I, you know, that's incredible. You know, so beautiful. Thank you for telling me. Right. And when, uh, well, there was a, I think I mentioned this, uh, to you that there was this, uh, pastor in, uh, Sedona who decided to talk about near-death experiences for five Sundays starting, starting in Easter. This was, I guess, a year ago. And, um, people would come up out, afterwards out of the congregation and say, I'm so glad you're talking about this because I had a near-death experience or this, this, yeah. this happened to me or that. And then they'd, then he'd say, well, would you like to share that with the congregation? And, you know, the next Sunday they would talk about it a little bit and that would draw somebody else out. So these are, they're, they're powerful stories and they should be, uh, incorporated. I do think that, uh, personal mystical experiences are almost custom designed for the experiencer. Yes. Uh, so yeah. many near death experiences have parallels, but they're personalized in mm-hmm. a way that are meant to motivate the experiencer and to, and to open a, a, a window for them. You, but still, the power of the story is there for others, for them to share with others. I quite agree, and I am um, very reluctant when people ask me to um, comment critically about other people's experiences. Um, I'm pretty reluctant to do it because sometimes people make statements in about their near-death experience or draw conclusions that I don't necessarily share, but um, I want to support everybody's experience um, as much as I possibly can, even though I think that there are some interpretations, some confabulations that take place that I don't appreciate. Mm -hmm. I wish that seminaries would incorporate at least one class for the seminarians in near-death experience and other forms of personal mystical experience so that they could get a handle on it uh, and, uh, and, and not be shocked by it when it turns up, you know, after they've been ordained and they're serving a congregation and somebody comes to them with a story because their reaction can be, uh, can ruin, uh, some people's, uh, security in, in the, in the, in the belief in the vision of, of what they saw. Well, you, you just opened up a can of worms with me because, um, as you know, my background was I was a professor at a university, and when I had my near-death experience, I was shunned um, by all of my former friends because of my experience and ridiculed and publicly um, um, laughed at and berated 
And, um, it was, a um, it was a very disturbing experience. So my point is, um, academia is some of the most close-minded <laughs> people I've ever encountered. Yes. Certainly as far as religion goes. Uh, yep. You, you were in San Francisco, is that right? No, no, this happened in, um, in Kentucky. In Kentucky, wow, that, that's a we're, we're not we're not just the Bible Belt; we're the buckle on the Bible Belt. <laughs> but was this? It wasn't. Was was this uh, your your art training, or was it your um, seminary training? Um, my art training or seminary training um, in relationship to what? No, I mean wh- when you got that reaction from your schoolmates, was that? When you were in seminary? No, it wasn't schoolmates. It was as a, I was a, I was a professor and a department uh, head. And it was right. from the dean of the College of Liberal Arts and from my uh, fellow department heads and my faculty mem- member friends. Right. Not from students. The students, um, were very interested. <laughs> okay. But I just wanted to see if it was when you were in seminary that this had happened. Um, no. I, I was able to talk my seminary into letting me get a doctorate um, in specifically in near-death experiences. So, um, but I think there are very few seminaries that would have gone along with, with my proposal. I, I never talked about my near-death experience at seminary. Oh. Because I just thought um, it was just made me too vulnerable to ridicule. I, you know, I really don't appreciate being ridiculed a lot. Well, of course. Who does? Yeah. But, but if this could become part of a dialogue that we could open, you know, open up in a seminary setting, I mean, where where else? What other academic setting could there possibly be that that uh, you know something like this could be discussed if not in a seminary? Right. And I, um, something critical about religion: the fact that um, so many people's experience um, who've had mystical experience and near death experiences get negative. Uh, reception from their priests, from their pastors, from their rabbis, from them and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, shame on them. You know, one of the things that is so unfortunate about um, our churches is, is that they can be so unwelcoming based on um, economic status, race, ethnic background, and um, any deviation from the norm in terms of um, religious upbringing. Yes. You know, one of the, um, just to put in a plug for IONS, but uh, one of the powerful things about going to a conference where half the room has had a near-death experience is walking into that community and feeling that acceptance and that love that they all learn through their own NDEs and, and the sharing that goes on at something like that. Uh, you could wish that every church congregation had that kind of energy and uh, I, love built into it. I quite agree, and I did um, early on benefit very much from the local Friends of Ions meetings in Cincinnati, which I went to for years, every month, and then um, actually sponsored them for a while at the church that I served in Cincinnati, and I've been to um, a number of national meetings. So Lions does a great job. Well, in the minute we have left, do you have any recommendation for uh, churchgoers out there? Um, welcome the stranger 
in your midst because they may be an angel from God. Mm. So if they're dirty, if they're smelly, if they're look like they've got weird ideas or, or want to talk about their mystical experience, um, angel from God means messenger from God. That's what the word means. And um, they may have something really important gift to give to you. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. Well, I think... Um Every NDE is a message from God that's meant to be shared. It just uh, takes courage to do it, but uh, once you get into the habit of it, it, uh, it can really benefit the rest of uh, humankind. Yes. Well, Howard, thank you so much for sharing your, your insights on organized religion with our listeners. Um, tell our audience where they can uh, find your art and get copies of your books. Um, I have a website howardstorm.com and um i've got a number of paintings there that they can look at and also there's links to the uh, four books that i've written terrific well my thanks again to reverend howard storm if you'd like to hear this program again or any of our more than 230 some odd programs to date just go to our website at nderadio.org for more information about ions please go to their website at IANDS.org. And be with us again next week, 11 a.m. Eastern, for more NDE Radio. This is Lee Whitting saying thanks for listening.